0: What book of the Bible are we in? Acts. Acts. Boy, that's good, that's good. It only took about six weeks before we got that down. And do you have your Bible with you? Well, don't admit it. I heard somebody say, no. (laughs) That's okay, just bring it next week. (laughs) We're going to read it together, we're going to put it on the the screen, we're going to discuss it. It's God's Word. It was true when it was first written, it's true now, and we can rely upon everything that it says. Now this morning in this message, just a little bit different from uh, what we've done in the past in the sense that this message is going to be as much a demonstration of Bible study methodology as it is just a flat-out sermon. And so I think I better ask God to help me. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we're about to open this amazing book. We're going to discuss some ways that, that it can penetrate a little deeper into our hearts than, than just sometimes when we skim over it. So Father, just teach us and guide us and thrill us Remind us that the Word of God is living and powerful and it, it's intended to pierce into the deepest parts of us and divide our thoughts from thoughts and clarify the things that just kind of hang around inside and never get dealt with. So Father, may your Word do all of that this morning for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the Bible study method... Is called, and I've mentioned this to you before over the many years, inductive Bible study. And I want to demonstrate this morning how it's done a little bit as we do it together and how it can make the Bible come alive in your life. Now, of course, having the Bible become alive in our lives starts by us reading the Bible. I know folks that buy Bibles, they have all kinds of Bibles, they have pretty ones, they have leather-bound ones, they have children's Bibles, they have life application Bibles, they have Bibles for women and Bibles for men, and they have them all over their house. You can walk into their house and almost have to fight your way through the Bible wall. And you could say to some of them, have you ever read any of them? Oh, well, you know, when I can, but every time I go into a bookstore, if they have a fancy Bible, they, I just gotta, you know, it's God's Word, it's the Bible. Well, most of them don't have any dramatic change in their life. No matter how many Bibles they buy. Some person with an old, worn-out, tattered Bible that they read every day is being transformed. And you can tell the difference. And so this situation of having the Bible come alive in our lives begins by reading it discovering what it says, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it means, and then how he would have it impact your life. Now, I had the pleasure this week of sharing this method of Bible study a little bit with someone right here in our congregation, someone who came in to talk and and honestly admitted that uh, they weren't getting very much out of the Bible. And so I recommended something. I recommended that they choose a gospel. And I recommended the gospel of Mark. It's by far the best. <laughs> it's short. It's right to the point. Doesn't have a whole lot of theology in it, but it sure does have the story of Jesus. And, uh, and so I recommended the gospel of Mark. Mark. And I suggested that the person read a section of it every day and be consistent at it. Sometimes you got to start out, if you're one that the Bible seems to be a dead book and yet you've been trying to read it because somebody said you should, well, let me tell you this, start this, but on the first day it may seem just as dead as it did yesterday. Third day, still dead. Fourth day, still dead. Fifth day, still... Maybe maybe even six days, still dead. But I guarantee on the seventh day, the day of completion, you'll start reading that Bible and say, wow. I'm enjoying this. I'm getting something out of this. I can see where I what I just read matches up or connects with what I read three days ago. And since it was only three days ago, I remember what I read three days ago. And it's all part of a story. And all of a sudden, day eight and nine, it just begins to take off. Well, here's the methodology though, rather than just reading it like that. But I recommended that this person read a section. It might be a single event. It might be a single paragraph. Perhaps even on some days a single verse. You read it and it just stops you right in your tracks. It's one of those verses that's just filled with truth and with the suggestion and and with direction and and you just got to stop right there and ponder it. And so you ask yourself, whatever section you're on, what does it say? What does it actually say? Who is involved here? What do I think it means? And as you go through that process of questions, have a yellow pad. I still think a real piece of paper, as opposed to something that disappears when you slide it this way or this way, a real piece of paper can help because tomorrow it's still a piece of paper and it's there. So get your yellow pad. That's what I started on years ago, and all brilliant people use yellow pads. (laughs) The greatest ideas in the world have been first put down on a yellow pad. So just take my word for it. Take your yellow pad, and all the pages here are still stuck together. They're not just individual sheets. It's all there. It's like a little book waiting to be written. So take your yellow pad, and write down, make this yellow pad a kind of journal of your comments on that scripture. Maybe the first day you simply read Mark 1, 1. That verse all by itself, it just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be impressed with the fact that it doesn't say anything about when Jesus was born doesn't tell anything about the wise men, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, the situation. It just says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's enough to make you think for a little while. Say, the man who wrote this book is telling me He's starting with what he considers to be the most important thing, the central thing, the reason maybe Jesus came to earth. He's going to tell me where the gospel, the good news about my salvation begins. And he says, this is where we are, the beginning of it. You could jot down a number of things on your yellow pad there and say, as I start this brand new gospel, I'm just amazed that I didn't know it didn't have a Christmas story. I, I didn't know it didn't have other things. It just starts right out, hits you in the faith. This is what we're going to talk about, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, lest I get too involved there, you all have already written down your first page. I just say here, don't try to be profound. Anybody in here get caught into that trap of thinking you can't do it unless it's profound? And then you try to be profound... Say to your wife or husband, Here, read this. Isn't this great? And they say, What? Well, it seemed pretty profound to me. Don't try to be profound. You're not going to publish this thing. Just record your honest reflections. What are you thinking? What does this scripture seem to say to you? Do that every day, all the way through the Gospel of Mark, if that's what you're doing, every single day, however long it takes record your honest reflections and when you are done however long it takes you will have your own personal commentary on that book a whole yellow pad full of comments on the the scripture Gospel of Mark or whatever it might be. And when you get done, there it is. Your own personal commentary. And that's all a commentary is. How many of you on your bookshelf at home have a commentary written by John MacArthur? One or two. Chuck Swindoll. How many of you have any commentaries at all? Well, you know, you, maybe, maybe there's not money in them there, heroes, anymore. But you will have your own, See? And that will be your commentary, for instance, on the Gospel of Mark for the rest of your life. You can pick it up and you can reread it. You can say, wow, you know, that, that's what the Lord put in my mind that day when I read this scripture. I remember it made an impact on me then, but you know, it impacts me a little bit differently now. But it, it's me and, and it was my walk within faith and it's my comments on the word of God becomes a powerful thing. It's a way that the, the Bible even becomes more living because it's your living comments on that living word and it, it is just a, an incredible method of scripture study. You're not just reading what somebody else said. You're reading it and then you saying something that's right from your heart. So now, this morning, we're not going to do all of that step by step, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture. And this scripture will help complete our initial look at the awesome transformation of the life of the one we now know as the Apostle Paul. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul, what was he known as? Saul. Saul. See? Father, they listen. I know some of you for a little while thought Saul and Paul were two different people. And I kept messing up their names back and forth, and I'll probably do that again. But Saul was the unconverted man, and later, in fact, he hated Christ. And then later on, as he became a follower of Christ and became a leader in Christ's church, and Jesus himself said, I'm calling you. I'm going to designate you to be actually an apostle of mine, a sent forth one, and he became identified as the Apostle Paul and wrote all those letters in the New Testament that any one of them you can make your a personal commentary on. But today we're going to finish the little part in the book of Acts explaining about Saul and uh, And then Luke is just going to drop Saul right out of the record for a while. We're going to have about three chapters where he focuses on other great works in the early church. And then up by chapter 13, we're going to come back to Saul again. So this is the last we're going to hear his name for a little while. So let's make sure we get it wrapped up well. And so today, I want you to consider with me what I'm calling today's catch-up scripture. This is a scripture we used last week, but it's kind of a bridge into this week, so here it is. And this is a scripture, not from the book of Acts, but from the letter to the Galatian church that the Apostle Paul, probably 25 years later, wrote. Everybody at that point knew him by the name Paul, 25 years had gone by become a great leader of the church, and he's sharing a testimony of what happened to him when he was known as Saul all those years earlier. So here's what he says, Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's a big wordy way to say when Christ broke into my life on the Damascus road. When he knocked me right to the ground when I recognized this was a divine power that I was confronting, and I knew it was the Lord, I knew it was God Almighty, and I said, Lord, who are you? And surprisingly, the voice answered back, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, the one whose followers you are throwing into jail. I'm that Jesus. And Saul's life was forever changed from that moment on. He recognized Jesus had lordship power. Jesus was the one who has been raised from the dead and is, in fact, the son of God. All that in a flash. And so he says, when God did that to me, when he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, here's the point Paul's making. I did not consult with anyone. That is, with with any man, with any of the other apostles. I didn't go down to Jerusalem where the core church was. What did you do? He said, uh, I went immediately into Arabia, just a great big wilderness area to the east of Damascus and to the east of a lot of things, out into the desert. He doesn't tell us how long he was there, but he does tell us later that Jesus Christ revealed the gospel to him directly. There's no doubt it's out there in Arabia during those days, those weeks, those months, however long it was, where Jesus Christ himself filled Paul's mind and heart with the truths that Paul would then take through the whole world. And fill up 13 books in the New Testament with. So he says, I immediately went into Arabia, and later, later, doesn't tell us how long, later I returned to Damascus. It was on the way to Damascus where he was confronted by Christ. He was taken into Damascus. The early believers there had to really stretch their faith to say, this man who came here to throw us all in jail has actually been confronted by Jesus and has become a follower. It helped when Paul was immediately baptized. And he was. And Ananias had come to him and prayed for him. And the scales had fallen from his eyes and he had been returned to sightedness. Jesus himself told Ananias to do that. But it was a a rough little beginning and as soon as Paul got his strength back, because he hadn't eaten or drunk anything for three days waiting for Ananias to come, got his strength back. Luke tells us he stayed there in Damascus for several days. Paul tells us here, then he went into Arabia for however long. And it would seem Jesus Christ himself, no doubt through the means of the Holy Spirit taught Paul and filled Paul with every truth of God that he would spend his life declaring. And the ones that we love to read in the books he wrote. So, that's the statement. Later I returned to Damascus. So that was Paul's testimony. It fills in a gap That had been left in the book of Acts. It provides vital information concerning the passion with which Saul began this ministry, really, in Damascus. And so today's key scriptures pick up Luke's orderly account. Here's the first Acts chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. Now, when we read through there, we have Saul being confronted by the Lord on the Damascus Road, being struck down, being made blind, Ananias coming to him, praying for him. Saul is baptized. He regains his strength after eating and being with the believers for a little while. And and Luke, see, just says in verse 20, at once, at once, he, that is Saul, began to preach in the synagogues. See, between the word once and the name Saul is a a gap there. That Saul is now just filled in for us in his Galatian letter. And so we can say here, at once, following Saul's return from Damascus, all pumped up by the Spirit, having been taught by the Lord Jesus himself exactly what the gospel message is going to be, At once, upon his return to Damascus, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a slightly different slant and emphasis on the gospel message than what the apostles in Jerusalem were preaching. The gospel that they were preaching centered in on the fact that Jesus has died on the cross as the sacrifice for the world and he's been raised from the dead and he's alive. And we are witnesses of that. Saul begins right off with, a, with an identity statement that goes a little bit beyond what, what has actually been the center, preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, next thing, that Jesus is the Christ. First point, he's God. He's the son of God. Two, he's the one sent by God as our promised Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. It's Jesus who is this. Now, here's just a little bit of sermonizing this morning. Let me bring in a parallel scripture. It's not right here in Acts, but a parallel scripture that just struck me this week as being so so parallel that I'd have to share it. It also records a very special return of someone to begin ministry. Saul returned from Arabia and hit the ground running, declaring these great, great truths, proving even that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is the promised Messiah. I mean, he just, he returned and in great power. Well, somebody else did that also. And so let's, this morning, let it be a framework in which we will follow through a comparison between these two situations. The other one we find in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. It says, now Luke also wrote this, And Jesus returned to Galilee. He had been other places, a little bit. But he returned from Galilee from his 40 days in the wilderness. That's where he went right after his baptism. He went into the wilderness. 40 days, the Bible tells us how long he was there. And then Luke says, and Jesus returned then to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Saul comes back from Arabia and begins preaching powerfully about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes from the wilderness where he had been set aside for a while and begins to preach powerfully in all of their synagogues. Now, back to the main story. Acts chapter 9, verse 23 to 25. It says, after many days had gone by, who knows how many, this is in Damascus, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill Saul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day after day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. They're not going to let him out. If he dares to try to leave, we got assassins right here. And there's no way out of this city because we gated up at night and we're guarding the doors. But... It says his, that is Saul's followers, took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. How many of you ever went to a Sunday school class where you saw the lesson of Saul being let down in a basket over the wall of Damascus? Anybody? Are we all so young in here where, where you didn't go to Sunday school as a kid? That was always a big feature. I mean, kids love that. I mean, that's exciting. How did Paul get out of the city or Saul get out of the city? What happened? They're trying to kill him. Well, his friends put him in a basket. How big a basket? Well, I don't know. How big was Saul? Anyway, they put him in a basket and they lowered him down through a hole in the wall. Wasn't it a good thing there was a hole in the wall? suppose it was a window. But they lowered him down through a hole in the city wall at night, quietly, wow, this is just like some medieval show you see on TV sneaking around down the castle walls and how, and they did it and he got away. Kids come home and say, mom, you'd never believe what they told us in Sunday school today. I want to go back next week. If there's stories like that in the Bible. But well, that's what they did. Here's where the story comes from. Paul escaping in a basket from the city of Damascus. Well, where would he go? He could have just run back into Arabia and said, you know, it's not working out too well for me. I think I'll just stay here and commune with the Lord. Think a little bit more about these things. Well, as we read Luke's account, he went back to Jerusalem. That's where he had initially been. That's when he was Saul the persecutor. That's when he's meeting with the chief priest and, and making a plan to throw all these Christians in jail. He said, I'm even willing to go way up there to Damascus to arrest them if any of them are up there. This was Saul the persecutor. Like the Damascus Christian said, isn't he the one that created havoc in Jerusalem? So now he goes back to Jerusalem where he had originally created such havoc. Havoc. It's easy to imagine his reception. That's the next section of our story. Acts chapter 9 verse 26. It says, when he, that is Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Well, of course he did. He's now a born-again believer. He's now met with Jesus himself. He now has the glow of the Holy Spirit upon him. He's Saul soon to become known by a, a more powerful name than that. So he naturally tries to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They were all afraid of him. They weren't going to be gullible for crying out loud. He thinks we're going to fall for that. He's going to sneak into our meetings and then find out who we are and where we live, and and it'll just be we'll all have to leave the city again. They were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But, this whole thing is filled with buts. Make a statement then. But, turn around, change of attitude. But Barnabas, good old Barnabas. He is just one incredible guy. We see his name all through the book of Acts. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He, that is Barnabas, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, how did Barnabas know all that? Luke doesn't tell us. But he knew all that. And he talks to at least some of the, at least to Peter, at least to James, the the leaders of the church. And Luke goes on to say, So due to Barnabas's good word, so Saul stayed with them. That would mean the believers. And he moved around freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenist, Hellenistic Jews. Remember, Stephen was, had a Hellenistic, a Greek background. He talked and debated with them, and they tried to kill him. I'll tell you, this guy was getting off to a rocky start. (laughs) When? When the believers learned of this, what those Hellenistic Jews were plotting, when the believers learned of this, they took him, that is Saul, down to Caesarea. Caesarea was a beautiful port city on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Herod and all the, the elites spent time there, it was a port, they went, took him down to Caesarea, put him on a ship, and headed it, sent him off to Tarsus. That's where he was born. That's where he came from. Aren't you, aren't you delighted the way that Christians solve problems? <laughs> Have you ever had a problem where you just say, let's just ship it off? Let's just ship it off. We're not going to deal with it anymore. There's a little bit more than I want to deal with right now. Fire that guy. Set him off. Then, capital letters. And this is the Holy Spirit inspiring this, so I guess it was copacetic. It was okay. It wasn't quite time for Saul to turn into Paul and become a number one leader. Then, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now, there's a part of me that hates to read that and think about that. Once we got Saul out of here, God could really bless the place. God could continue right on because the elements of peace the elements of knowledge, the elements of, of fellowship among those of us who have been here from the day of Pentecost forward. I mean, those things we could just lean back on and, and delight ourselves in. Saul created such a ruckus. He wasn't here for Pentecost. He doesn't know our stories. He doesn't know who the you know how God's worked among us. And for some reason, Barnabas, who's been here from the very beginning, kind of sidled up to Saul. And but uh, most of us didn't. We'll always be conflicted a bit about him. He was creating the stress, certainly in the church. So once he was removed, peace in the church came about again and they were able to just declare the truth do their ministry and the unbelieving Jews around them and other unbelievers around them were able to just hear their message and and the Christians themselves were not at odds about this disruption in the force that has taken place and so God honored that it was probably God's It wasn't time yet for the next phase of Saul's ministry, but his ministry never was going to be centered in Jerusalem. And so they shipped him off. You can think about that a lot, just that whole story. You can make a lot of observations about it. I'd encourage you, in fact, to sit down this afternoon, maybe at halftime, you guys, I'm not letting you off. The women can be sitting here during first quarter, second quarter, and then halftime comes, and they say, sweetie, look what I found about what Pastor Mark was talking about this morning. Isn't this wonderful? And he's saying, well, you know, if they had just not blocked that punt, you know, we could be further ahead, or, or it could, but give it a shot. Might be Monday, might be Monday. Sit down, go through these scriptures, and you try to just, Think yourself through them as the real life situation that they are depicting. Like some biblical master detective, just examine the facts, the story, and see what you see. Now, we're just gonna sail through the last part of that, that's the whole we got the whole gospel. Content in front of us for the morning. Here what I want us to do now is just I want to share with you three what I would call observations that I would make that could grow out of this whole combined story though you could add others as well. But let me just share three observations. It's like, okay, we read the story. We talked about it a little bit. What do we see here? What are some big overarching kind of observations? So here's the first one I'd give you since I did tuck in that other story so that Jesus and Saul can be compared to each other, I want you to see that both, number one, both Jesus and Paul commenced public ministry after being sequestered for a time. Now, that's not a brilliant theological truth. It's an observation. It says, you know, we've read the passage about Paul, he was in Arabia for however long. We read the passage, and then he began his real ministry. We read the passage about Jesus. He was in the wilderness for 40 years, being ministered to, and so forth, and being tempted. And then he began his ministry. It's like uh, God worked the same way in both of them. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, is where it tells us, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil and being ministered to, though, by angels. Those were 40 marvelous days. And then in Galatians 5, or 1, verse 12, and then 15, Paul tells us he spent an indeterminate time, we don't know how long, in Arabia, where Jesus himself revealed the gospel message to him. Now, if we put those side by side, you can kind of draw out the similarities between them. Perhaps that observation will lead to some practical application in our lives. But the observation is both Jesus and Paul commence public ministry after being sequestered, set apart for a time. Here's now a second observation we can make from this side-by-side presentation. And I admit... I admit this one comes as I allow my natural curiosity to look a little bit more carefully at the Jesus side of this comparison. But you would do the same thing, wouldn't you? So here we go. Second observation. Both of their ministries, especially their initial ministries, raised puzzling questions. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says, the people said, isn't this the carpenter's son? That account is Jesus not only went to Galilee, he went right to his hometown of Nazareth. And he began to speak there in the synagogue, talking brilliant things. But the people said, isn't this the carpenter's son? In other words, they could say to him, who do you think you are? Or they could say to each other, where did he get all this stuff? We've never heard anything like this. Isn't this just the carpenter's kid? And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 21, the people said regarding Saul, isn't this the man who raised havoc here in Jerusalem? Or these are the Damascus people in back there in Jerusalem? Jerusalem? The point being, what are you up to now? What are you trying to pull over on us? We heard about you down in Jerusalem. Now here you are up in Damascus and you're preaching positive about Jesus. Down there you were condemning everyone who followed Jesus. What are you up to now? Second observation. Both of their ministries raise puzzling questions. Here's the third and final observation of the many, perhaps it could be drawn, Here it is. Both of them jumped in with both feet. They didn't start casually. They didn't just dip their toe in the water and then up to your knee and then... No. See, Jesus, here he is in his hometown... He's given the honor of reading the scripture that day in the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he rolls the scroll open to this point where it talks about uh, the coming of the Messiah and the one who will free the captives and all of that. And when Jesus gets done reading that, he sits down and he says, Luke 4:21, "This day, today." This moment, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The one Isaiah was talking about is me. That's not easing into something. That's just telling these fervent Jews, these people who love the word of God, these people who could quote that passage from Isaiah, even while Jesus read it, they they yearn for the one who would come they yearn for this this uh, ministry comforting the wounded and healing the broken and all this wonderful ministry and and then jesus sits down and says i'm here it's me that's a pretty from 0 to 60 very very fast paul In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, At once, Paul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. mentioned that before. That's just jumping right in. It's not like, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, he was a loving man. He was a kind man. God worked miracles through him. Jesus called, you know, just ordinary men, fishermen and stuff like that to follow him. He, he could choose any one of you. You don't have to be special. You, there's all kinds of ways you could get into talking about Jesus. And, and he just walks into the synagogue. These are Jewish people. Our God is one God. He walks right in there and he says, I want to declare to you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I met him in a fire from heaven. You see, we could say both Jesus and Paul cut right to the chase. I can hear Jesus say, I'm the one the prophet Isaiah was talking about. So listen to what I say. Saul didn't mince words either. I can hear him say, Jesus is not a blasphemer as our leaders have charged and as I have formerly believed. He is the Son of God. He has powerfully confronted me and changed me and taught me things that you all must know. Three observations just growing out of the text that we read. I believe they're significant. They're valid ones. Now, how about some applications? When we're doing this, how about how do we fit into this story? How do these observations made about others then get applied to our life as we're living it? Well, here's three that I would just share with you this morning and then we're done. One, God will not use you until he's prepared you. By the way, those of you who opened your bulletins today and looked what's inside, did you notice you do have blanks today? Are you filling them in? Keeping right up with us? That's good. That's good. God will not use you until he's prepared you. He spent 40 days especially preparing his Son going through a time of temptation, ministering to him with angels and, and other means. The, the Saul, out there in Arabia, God spent time, we don't know how much, Jesus himself, Paul says, taught him the gospel. He received the gospel by revelation from Jesus himself. There's a time of preparation. Now, let me just say this to all of us today. God prepares us, Because I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever kind of found yourself in a spiritual moment and felt, I'm not prepared for this. I'm not prepared for this. Maybe some of you have never felt prepared your entire Christian life. Whew, I better call Pastor Mark. You need to talk to my pastor. Well, I'm talking to you right now. I'm not prepared for this. Let me share some things here. One... God prepares us through worship. You have been part of your preparation to serve God. You've been uh, going through this morning to sing the songs that we sang, to sing them from your heart, to come into a time of prayer where we surrender ourselves completely in every circumstance to him. You are bowing before the almighty God and there is no better preparation to serve God than to truly be a worshiper of God. Because then the truth of God just flows right out of you. You're not scared. You're not preparing a statement. It's just flowing out of the heart of one who knows God, loves God, and has enough of the facts of God in their mind that they they never get tired of talking truth about him. So God prepares us through worship. A conscious, joyful surrender of our lives to him as our awesome Abba. Secondly, God prepares us through relationship with Numa, with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's with you all day long, every day, and he's there guiding you and assisting you and developing his fruit within you and and assisting you in becoming more Christ-like when you just yield yourself to him. And every minute of the day then is preparation for service, your relationship with him. Noma even opens our minds to understand more the the truth of God's word, biblical truth. So, become a true worshiper of God, become a conscious companion of the Spirit of God, become bound to the truths of God's word, especially those relating to salvation provided by the Son of God, and you'll be prepared in ways that go beyond what you can imagine, and God will use you. But God will not use you. He cannot use any of us if we're just unprepared. It's like, what would he use us for? Oh, my mother had an answer to that question I probably shouldn't say. I said it a few weeks or months ago and you were horrified. But my mom would have an answer. She'd say, well, (coughs) you can always be a bad example. I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, you know, I don't talk to people about Jesus. I kind of don't try to live a straight and narrow life, you know. But, you know, I'm a Christian. Say, well, could I, I, could you come to my meeting this week? I, I'm going to be talking to people about Christ and I, I need a bad example. Could, could you just, because <laughs> everything I'm going to tell them not to be, I'm going to say, now this guy is, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But God doesn't... See, we can prepare ourselves to be a bad example. But God prepares us to serve him in these ways. Second thing, second application. Your initial ministry... This would be, you know, right after you get saved, right after you move to a new place, right after whatever it might be, you're starting fresh. Your initial ministry will probably raise questions. Now, I just say, don't be surprised by that. Don't be discouraged if your initial attempts to share your faith are not well received. You see, the greater the change has been in your life, and the more it seems like you've turned your back on certain people or certain situations, the more likely people will question you or even mock you or perhaps even turn away from you. Who does she, he think he is? Is he too good for us now? Not doing this anymore? Not doing that? Have you noticed the way they're the change in them? I mean, and the question, what's with you? Sometimes it's an honest answer. Sometimes it's a kind of a derogatory put down. What kind of jerk have you become? Questions come up. The truth is, you've made a fundamental change in your life and in your beliefs. And if it has happened, it's noticed by people who don't want to make such a change or haven't made such a change and so questions will come up. What happened to you? And the more God has been able to prepare you, the more sure you will be of all those changes. You're not going to think twice and say, maybe I I shouldn't have made that decision. No, the more God has prepared you through worship and so forth, the more sure you will be of all those changes and the less troubled you will be by any challenges or negative reactions you receive. Loving, gentle, non-judgmental answer to those questions will be given to you by the Holy Spirit whenever they arise. Third thing, Here's our final application of today's observations. Throw yourself. Some of you are so good at this. I have watched you. An opportunity comes and I mean, you just full speed ahead all the time. Well, I'm just saying. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. Saul did. Throw yourself enthusiastically through whatever doors he, that is God, opens. To use a football analogy on this weekend, why not? To use a football analogy, we need to always be ready to run to daylight. Now that's what the great Green Bay Packer coach Vince Lombardi taught all of his running backs to do. Get the ball from the quarterback, hold it securely, and when you see an opening in that defensive line in front of you, Anytime you see a little daylight between the blockers, run to it. It might be over here, it might be here, it might be there. It could open up anywhere. The key is for you to be alert, and when you see the opening, run to the daylight that you see on the other side of it. Now, the truth is in the Christian life, the ball is handed to us every single day. We should always be eager to gain a little yardage. When God opens a hole, that is a door, an opportunity, we should throw ourselves enthusiastically through it and see what we can gain for his glory on the other side. So with that analogy in mind, here's today's final thought. Nothing is as exciting or as unpredictable as serving The Lord. It's a marvelous, keep-on-your-toes kind of life. Life is unpredictable. But God's Spirit is faithful. And we have folks in this church, a lot of you really, but every now and then I get to see one of you just throwing yourself through a door of opportunity that, that just blows my mind. It may involve a great investment of time on your part. It may involve you putting your resources at the disposal of of someone else or helping someone else, but just throwing yourself right through that door and say, we will, for Jesus' sake, we will step in here. And it's a marvelous thing. You're gaining ground. Might even be scoring a touchdown. Apply. Apply the the principles, the observations we make even from this scripture and say, I want to I wanna be like that in my own life. I want to throw myself enthusiastically into any opportunity for service that the Lord hands me. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're not so far from the first century because people are people. The human race has not been altered Our fallen nature is always the same and the reborn nature given us by the Holy Spirit is always the same. And so as you worked in one, two thousand years ago, so you work in us today. And Father, I pray as we open your word that we might find the way That the Word itself would want to become living and powerful within us and within our life circumstances. So Father, help us to interact with it. Help us to to really question it. To try to get to know the the workings of God in the lives of the people that we read about and and then say, "And, and that's probably the same way God works today. And I want to be used by him. I want this, not only the scripture come alive, I want my own life to come alive in the service of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we give ourselves to that. First, it's just lip service, I know. But unless we say it, we'll never do it. So, Father, train our lips to say, I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And let our heart kind of be thrilled by the sound of those words. And then let our will get involved in saying, that's indeed the the thing that that I wish to do. And and then, Father, open our eyes to see the doors you put in front of us, the ministry moments that come our way. And may may we not think ourselves out of them, but may we just lovingly work ourselves into them. And I thank you for all in this congregation over all these years that have been faithful to do that. Bless us now, we pray this coming week in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sun life Community Church dot com